Okay, right, well we're carrying on with our series in Jonah, uh, and we're into chapter 2, so if you've got a Bible, um, can you please find uh, chapter 2, but don't worry if you haven't, um, it'll be on the screen. So we're looking uh, at Jonah, this kind of uh, very short account of this man um, in the Bible. And, and here's a fun fact for you. Do you want a fun fact? Here's a good fun fact for you. Um, do you know what the most heard sermon on Jonah or, or the most widely distributed sermon, a church sermon on Jonah, was probably actually never given? You might be thinking, well, what's, why is that? Well, it was actually given by Father Mapple, a, a character in the novel Moby Dick. Has anyone read Moby Dick? Uh, and uh, here's a picture of him here. You can just make him out. Uh, that's him. Well, that's him played by Orson Welles in the, the 1956 version of Moby Dick. Uh, but Moby Dick, the story of, of Captain Ahab um, and the whale and his hunt for kind of this kind of huge whale that he is after. Um, and in the book, um, Father Mapple is giving a sermon in, in the chapel of this, this uh, whaling village on the east coast of America. And it's to a community of sailors and to fishermen and their wives and their children. And that's what they know. And, and you kind of see, you know, with all the fact that there's this sea and there's fish in this story, you can see how it'd be relevant for them. But do you know what? It's as relevant as it was to them as it is to us today. And, and even more so, because actually it's asking us, what do you think of God? What do you think of what God is really like? Look at yourself. Think about yourself. How do you think of what you're like? And so we're looking at Jonah, this prophet, who was called by God to take a message to the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were Israel's enemies. God had had enough of their evil. But Jonah, as we've been looking at, runs the other way. He goes in the opposite direction. He has no desire to go to uh, the Ninevites, the, the, the cruel, evil Ninevites, he has no desire to do that. He runs the other way and takes a ship in the opposite direction, thousands of miles. He thinks he can flee from God. But God sends a storm and, and there's this storm on the boat and Jonah hides. He goes down into the bottom of the boat to kind of hide and he, he ends up falling asleep and, and the sailors wake him up and they're kind of like, they're superstitious about, these are superstitious sailors, as sailors often are. And... Um, they, they kind of cast lots to work out who's brought this storm on them. And they, they find out it's Jonah, because Jonah's lot is drawn. And they kind of say, why, why is this? And he, he eventually says, look, throw me in to the water. That's the only way the storm will calm down. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, he's very thoughtful, isn't he? Well, maybe this is a selfish way of him escaping God. I can really escape God if I'm thrown into the bottom of the sea. So let's read this passage we've got up to. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. 
All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred men from me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Even my life was, sorry, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So up to now, we've seen this story as a kind of an account of his life. But now we hit his prayer. It turns into his prayer to God. And so we start this section. He's been swallowed by this huge fish. Now remember, we've said this before, haven't we? Remember, don't get sidetracked by the fish as such. Don't be thinking, well, I'm not sure if a fish, a man can live in a fish three days and if that can all... No, 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 don't, let's not go there. We've looked at that already and, and you know, we're seeing that actually there's, there's even bigger messages in this um, story for us that God has, that the writer has. I'm not saying it didn't happen. What I'm saying is there's bigger messages here for us. He's been running away from God. And now he finds himself in the belly of this fish. See, his prayer in verse 2 is literally from the belly of the place of the dead. That's what he prays. See, that's where his running from God has brought him. To a place of despair. He's closed in. He's squeezed. He's not able to direct his own life. It's actually the fish. That is directing his life now. He's come to the end of himself. And in his worst moment, he calls out to God. In my distress, I call to the Lord. And and from the deep of the realm of dead, I called for help. Perhaps you have known moments like that. How have I ended up here? Where is the way out of this situation that I feel trapped in? Maybe you've found yourself awake at night. You've had to get up and have a wander around and and be thinking, "I I can't see a way out of this situation. Maybe it's the asylum process you're in right now. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's some kind of uh, uh, just some kind of pressure of life you know as I was preparing I was very much reminded of the fact that in parts of Teesside suicide rates are 70% higher than the national average you know in our area there is a disproportionately high number of people who feel so trapped that that is the only way out they see. Is Jonah relevant for our culture today? Sure, right, it is. And you know what? Sometimes these moments 
that we find ourselves in can actually, they can sometimes be the, our own making from our decisions and from choices we've made. Sometimes they can be through no fault of our own and we find ourselves in them. But it's often in those bleak places that we find the grace of God. You know, it may feel terrible, but actually it can often become a good place for us. And I say that with real sensitivity because we discover in that place the depth and the love and the grace, and the grace of God. Sadly, though, for Jonah, I'm, I'm not sure that's the case. And I'm not sure that he fully grasps the grace of God for him. Yes, he's calling out in his time of need, but I just wonder whether it's more out of, from a place of self-pity, you know, I'm sad in the place I've ended up, rather than a place of confession. You know, I'm, I'm sad to run away from God, because I've run away from God. And I think there's enough in his prayer to suggest that that's the case, that he's not grasped grace. See, grace is the unmerited, undeserved favour of God towards you and towards me. See, it's being loved by God, not because there is something lovable in you and I, but because God chooses to love us. See, the Christian faith isn't so much about doing the right things for God. Actually, it's about being in right relationship with God. Many people see being in right relationship with God as a bit like one of these. Oh, God. A Rubik's Cube. Have you all seen a Rubik's Cube before? Can anyone do a Rubik's Cube? Hands up if you can do one of these Rubik's Cubes. Oh, Zach, we're in a very exclusive club here. Because... Uh, uh, I, I could. Um, I could, if I wanted to. Because over the winter, I decided I would learn how to do a Rubik's Cube. And, uh, you know, I would watch others. I actually watched, I knew Zach could do it. I watched Zach a few times and uh, 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 New Day. And I, I learnt uh, a few steps that you need to do uh, until I got so far... And then once I'd got so far, I had to go to YouTube. And I had to watch videos on YouTube, often of like eight-year-old kids, showing me how to do the Rubik's Cube. Jody said, is that not really, really disappointing? The fact that these eight-year-old kids are showing you how to do the Rubik's Cube. I was just happy they were doing it. You know, I just needed a little bit of help, a little bit of what's the next thing, a little bit of advice to get me to the next stage, and then I'd be fine, then I'd go on to the next bit, the next layer. And you know what? That is how some people see the Christian faith. They say, you know, you know what? Men and women are they're basically good, they just need a little bit of help. Just a little bit of guidance, and then they'll make it. They'll make it right with God. Make it okay, just make some adjustments to life, and men and women will be fine. Well, you might have heard it said, Do your best, and God will do the rest. Or, or how about this? According to one survey in the US, 87% of Christians believed in the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Listen, that's anti Christian, 
It so is. That's not the message of Christianity. We get right with God all through what Jesus has done for you and for I. I've contributed nothing. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. And it was perfect and becomes mine. You go back to my... See, go back to my Rubik's Cube. If I think I can do anything significant to add, I can't do anything significant to add to my, faith, to my salvation. If I, the more, if I think like that, actually all I'm doing is making it worse. It's as if I'm going backwards and making this Rubik's Cube even worse than it was. We do nothing. God does everything. And he does it through his son. So with the rest of this morning that we've got, I just want us to look at the depths of God's grace in the words of Jonah's prayer. Firstly, grace leads us to God. See, there's a way that grace can just become like a theological thing in our head. It can just become like a theological statement or something to to kind of believe in our heads. And it becomes very cold. See, maybe we're able, like Jonah, to say salvation comes from the Lord. But it does nothing to warm our heart. You see, you can meet people like this, can't you? You can meet people who have all their doctrines, all their thoughts and understandings all lined up on the church, on heaven, on hell, on grace, on salvation. But actually, they've never truly embraced those truths. Perhaps it's because they haven't embraced the, the one that those truths point to, Jesus. And I'm not being anti-theology, you know that. I'm not being anti-academic. Um, but do you know what? If you don't allow the grace of God to touch your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your emotions, your spirit, just information... Listen, think about the Apostle Paul. He wrote the most amazing theological stuff in the New Testament for us to kind of grapple with and people over the years have grappled with. But also he said simply that, you know what, the life I live is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, he had encountered this Jesus who loved him and given himself for him. It's the grace of God leading you to an encounter with Jesus. Listen, is the grace of God leading you into an daily encounter with this Jesus, empowering you? Secondly, grace leads us away from self-righteousness. Jonah prays, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you. I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, he prays. See, there's something in us that wants to fix the Rubik's Cube ourselves, isn't there? And for some reason, for some of us, grace is kind of like the thing that gets us in. When when we become a Christian, that kind of, we feel like, well, that grace got me in, but now it's up to me to kind of keep my church attendance up, keep reading the Bible, keep giving financially, keep serving in the church, or God might change his mind. Even in our times of singing, worship can become like that. And we can, we can sing things like sing a little louder and think, if I sing a little louder, God will be more impressed with my worship. 
And if I move a little bit more or pull the right face, God will really be impressed with my worship. Rather than, do you know what? I can sing a little louder because of the grace of God. Because he's freed me and released me. And I can sing with joyfulness to him. Worship is a response to God. It's not for us to try and earn something off him. And grace leads us away from that type of thinking. Leads us away from self-righteousness. See, let me go back to our greatest sermon from Father Mapple, from Moby Dick. It's a wonderful sermon. Do you know how many times it mentions Jesus? Not once. See, when we look at Jesus, who lived the perfect life, died in our place, we realize we can't add anything to what he's already done for us. Listen, perhaps like Jonah, you're in a place of despair this morning. And perhaps your prayer seems to be, God, if you get me through this, I'll really be a better Christian. I will really pray more. I'll give more. I'll serve more. If you just get me through this. Listen, let that not be your prayer. Let let the grace of God come to you and let you know his grace more and more. That he's your only source of hope. That he's the one who carries you through moments like that and he's able to transform you even in the midst of that finally grace leads us to compassion for others see Jonah prays those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them see who's he, who's he talking about in the story is he talking about the Ninevites? Is he talking about the sailors? Because for all he knows, he doesn't know they've, they've turned to God once they've chucked him off the boat. He just still thinks they're kind of pagan sailors. Whoever he's talking about, there really doesn't seem to be much compassion for them. And actually, the huge thing is that Jonah misses the idols that are in his life. But that is a message for another day. We'll come back to that, perhaps. He's, he's right. You can't find satisfaction in God's love for you if you're clinging to idols at the same time. See, idols were kind of those things that were made out of metal or they were made out of wood, fashioned, and they would kind of become um, things that people would bow down and worship to and sacrifice. And if we did that, then our crops would be fine. They wouldn't fail. Our family won't get sick. Uh, our enemies will suffer. But you know what? The concept of idol worship is still very relevant today. There are modern day idols too. See, idols are kind of like good things that we make ultimate. They're things that we take and we put them in the place of God. So things like money, sex, power. I'm I'm sure we could all say that our society has made idols out of these things. But actually there's things like family, success, comfort. You know what? We can, we can take those things, good things, and make them ultimate. Find our ultimate satisfaction in them rather than God. We can turn them into modern day idols. So, so what's, our, what's our approach to this? And how do we respond to those around us? Is it judgment? Is it 
is it, look at those, look at those worthless people who cling to idols. Not like me. Or is it, is it compassion? Look, look, they're clinging to worthless stuff in the place of God. And, but I desperately want them to know the love of God. I desperately want them to find their ultimate satisfaction and pleasure in him. See, a number of us went out and served people in Teesside yesterday in the estate of Hemlington, doing some painting and doing some litter picking and all that kind of stuff. And I was very aware as I was painting um, some railing that there was a group um, uh, of uh, probably four, maybe two or three families on the estate, all kind of congregated together, inquisitive about what we were doing, but just kind of having a usual Saturday morning. And I kind of went through emotions of... Self-righteousness? Oh, why? They should be doing this, but I'm doing it for them. It's their estate, but hey, I'm here, cleaning up your estate for you. How good am I? Through to judgment? Do you know what? This is why their life's like it is. Because they're not doing anything. Because they're not put God first. And I felt God speak to me. and say, Simon, you sound a bit like Jonah. And over the course of the morning, I felt compassion rise for people living on that estate as we interacted with kids and people who would come up and say, oh, thank you. Listen, grace should lead us to say, it's not that I'm better than you, but it's that God has shown grace and kindness to me. And, and, and I want you, I want them to know that too. This is what the hymn writer Charles Wesley wrote in one of his hymns, Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace, the arms of love that encompass me would all mankind embrace. Listen, is, is, it, is this richness of grace that you've received leading you to compassion for others? Maybe it's led you to get involved in things like Open Door maybe of the work of the Hope Foundation, maybe in Safe Families for Children. Maybe it helps you to reach out in love towards your friends and your neighbours or those that you work with. See, grace will lead us to look more like Jesus, to show compassion like he showed, to see those and show compassion to see those who are sick and in pain and in compassion say, hey, I want to pray for you. Can I pray? Because I believe God heals today. I want to pray the healing of God on you. Can I do that? It leads us to, to be compassionate and say, can I, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about one that I've found? Can I tell you about this love that I've encountered and that will change your life? It's finished. Let's wrap up because we, we see that grace leads us to God. Grace takes us away from self-righteousness and grace moves us to compassion for others. See, Jonah experienced a type of death. He experienced it because of his obedience. But you know what? Jesus experienced actual death because of obedience. Obedience to his father. Obedience to 
hang on a cross and pay for your sin and my sin so that we might go free, so that we might be made righteous in his sight. Listen, you may not have ever experienced that grace this morning. Perhaps you feel the, the finger of God on you this morning, just saying, you know, this is for you. You can come and know this grace, know the riches of this grace that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. Let's pray and we're going to finish with a song. There's a few things I would just like to hone in on as we pray and and ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. I was really stirred as as, um, both Jody and Angela brought those words about certainly great things that perhaps God has in store for us and for us to do and big leaps that perhaps he wants us to make. Greater things perhaps is the song we were singing. And I felt God say it's a people of grace that I want to lead into big leaps, greater things, works of compassion. It's a people of grace I want to, people who are sure in the love of God. That grasp the grace of God, the riches of this grace. So perhaps this morning you just want God to impress again, fill your heart and your minds with the richness of this grace. To come and touch you deeply again. Perhaps it's become a head thing. He wants to come and fill your mind and your heart again with the riches of his grace. I also feel there might be people here who are, feel that it is a moment of despair. Perhaps they do feel squeezed. Perhaps they feel like they're in something that they don't know the way out. They can't see the way out. Do you know what? I believe it's the grace of God that will lead you through. That will come and minister to you. In fact, God will come and minister to you in that situation. Listen, if that's you, just bring it to God right now in this time and moment of prayer. Bring it to him. Say, God, I, I'm, I don't know the way out. I feel stuck. I feel squeezed. But I know you are God of grace. Listen, this isn't karma. This isn't do good, good things happen to you, do bad, bad things happen to you. This is grace. Do good, do bad. The grace of God and the love of God extends to you. He wants you to know his grace this morning in that situation. Receive it this morning. If that's you, receive it this morning. Holy Spirit, come and touch us now, pray. Let us be a people of grace who are moved out from here to our nation, to the nations, who take giant leaps in grace, who walk out into all that you have for us in grace and confidence in the love of God. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together and worship this Jesus.